age cannot wither her, nor custom stale her infinite variety. Hey there, and welcome to Her Infinite Variety, the podcast that covers Shakespeare in New York City. I'm your host, Aaron Grunfeld, an obsessive fan of Shakespeare's plays. One thing almost everybody knows about Shakespeare is that he didn't work with women. In London 400 years ago, all the female roles were played by boys, and a woman didn't go on stage in one of his plays until almost 50 years after he died. To balance the scales, in every episode of Her Infinite Variety, I speak to the women in New York who are producing Shakespeare's plays. The actors, directors, designers, critics, and academics who bring Shakespeare to life in 21st century New York City. In our second episode, I'm speaking with Aaron Arbus, a regular director of Shakespeare with Theatre for a New Audience. Aaron is one of the most reliable directors of classics working in New York today. She's directed Lear, Much Ado, Taming of the Shrew, Macbeth, Measure for Measure, and Othello. Last year, she won an Obie for The Skin of Her Teeth, although I thought her work on Strindberg's The Father the previous season was even better. This summer, Aaron will direct an adaptation of The Tempest in a Greek refugee camp, not set in a camp, actually staged in one, for an audience who understands exile all too well. In April 2018, Aaron staged The Winter's Tale at the Polanski Shakespeare Center in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. That's one of my favorite of Shakespeare's plays. In its first half, baseless jealousy destroys the royal family of Sicily. In the second half, the Mad King's missing daughter falls in love with the Prince of Bohemia, the son of his one-time friend, now his enemy. The Winter's Tale is probably most famous for its stage direction, Exit, pursued by a bear. But my favorite moment comes at the climax, when a statue of the king's late wife comes back to life. I phoned Aaron to talk about this moment and other challenges in the play, and about Shakespeare in general. I think Winter's Tale is an amazing play. I think it's a kind of wish. I think the play is a kind of wish that something miraculous is possible after great loss. Shakespeare wrote this play 15 years after his son died and Hermione and Leontes end the play 16 years after their son has died. I think there's a lot of guilt in the play. Um, Jim Shapiro, the Shakespeare scholar, he said that he thinks that these late plays of Shakespeare, he's asking what is possible after tragedy. So I believe, or I'm most interested in the idea that um, it's a real miracle, that she is a statue that comes to life which I think is one of Shakespeare's intentions. He gives an, a logical explanation for the, for the people who, who need that, <laughs> you know, that, that Paulina has been sort of keeping her in the garden shed in the back and going to bring her food two or three times a day for the last 16 years. Both of those possibilities or the, those truths exist in the text. But I think the most radical view is that she's, and something mystical happens. You know, the real miracle is that this family, which has been shattered, is given a second chance, that Leontes is given a second chance, and that there is a kind of restoration for this broken family. And that, to me, is a very profound idea and a beautiful idea. The idea that you can really make a big mistake, but that there's something beyond I think that's an important idea. So that was 
kind of what the actors and I talked about. And Kelly Curran is playing Hermione. And we had a wonderful voice and text director on the show, a woman named Allison Bomber, who worked with Kelly on uh, breathing and on finding ways to move within stillness. So she's able to create that illusion. It's the hardest Shakespeare play I have ever tackled. For me, it was tons harder than King Lear, for example. Naturally, I asked her why. Because it's such an experimental play. The form is experimental, and he's changing the way he's telling the story as we go. The tonal shifts are extreme. It just continually flips into something else in a way that, like with Lear, that I think one of the greatest plays ever written, but it's one play. The most obvious disjoint in the play is that leap in time between Acts 3 and 4. To bridge that 16-year gap, Shakespeare uses an allegorical representation of time itself as a chorus. I asked Aaron what other trouble the script presents. Oh my gosh, like non-stop trouble. Yeah, the whole play is trouble. Gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I find that it is filled with challenges. I mean, the Shakespearean sheep shearing festival, let me tell you, <laughs> that's the tricky thing to put on the stage. So we focused on the play's misogyny. It's one of those problems in Shakespeare's worldview that you have to grapple with if you love his plays, like the racism in Othello or the anti-Semitism in Merchant of Venice. In Winter's Tale, as jealousy drives King Leontes apart from his wife Hermione, he obsesses over women's fidelity and infidelity in horrific yet beautiful terms. I think Shakespeare was such an amazing writer about misogyny, the way he explores misogyny in this play and in other plays. Leontes has exquisite language, foul language, to express his injuries and to express the betrayal that he perceives. I think you just kind of have to allow it to be as unsettling as, as it is. It feels to me very real. He perceives something that isn't happening, but what he perceives is that his wife, who I think he loves very deeply, and his best friends are not only sleeping together, but they're working in conjunction with his most loyal advisor, Camillo, to murder him and probably his son and take over the throne. And he believes that everybody is lying to him, everybody around him. He thinks they're all lying. He thinks they all know that this has been happening. So there is an element of Leontes that is very righteous. He believes he is doing the right thing to purge corruption from his kingdom. So that's something positive I think one can play. And what's very human about his journey is that he's wrong. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I am very sympathetic to him as a result because we've all, we've all been wrong. We turn to the second half of the play, where Perdita, the lost daughter of Leontes and Hermione, has fallen in love with the prince of Bohemia. The king of Bohemia, Polixenes, was the man Leontes suspected of sleeping with his wife, and he doesn't approve of his son's love. You know, the play is bifurcated and you have these two different countries and these two totally different attitudes towards female sexuality in Cecilia versus Bohemia. And yet they're sort of mirror, mirror images of one another, like things are flipped upside down in Bohemia. I mean, the way that Polixenes talks to Perdita, I find really offensive, more offensive than anything Leontes says. And Polixenes actually ends up alone 
And I think that's why. I think there's a big connection between Polixenes' abuse of power and, and Leontes. From there, the conversation turned to Aaron's work on Shakespeare in general. As I mentioned at the top of our show, she's directed half a dozen Shakespeare plays at theater for a new audience. I asked how she got started as a director and whether she'd started out with an interest in Shakespeare's plays. You know, I did not have a particular interest in Shakespeare. A lot of the things that have happened in my career have, the way I ended up at Theater for New Audience was by chance or by an odd series of events. I was pursuing directing, but had never studied Shakespeare. I often didn't enjoy going to see Shakespeare productions. I felt very intimidated by Shakespeare's writing and thought that the material was really for a select few, for scholars and sort of a different kind of person than me. But I ended up working in the office of Theater for New Audience, where Shakespeare is the cornerstone. I was struggling to find a path into becoming a professional director, which it's hard, in part because there's no clear route to getting work, and and everybody has to forge their own path. And I was working very hard full-time as an administrator. Jeffrey knew about my struggles, and, and he said, well, what if you were to direct for us, and why don't you pick a Shakespeare play? which was a terrifying mandate to me at the time because I, I didn't know how to direct Shakespeare. You know, not that there's a way to direct Shakespeare, but I, I just felt totally out of my depth. But I had been so frustrated that I wasn't going to turn down a, a job. <laughs> so I had to say, okay, I will. I'll pick a Shakespeare play. Just to interject, Jeffrey is Jeffrey Horowitz, the artistic director and founder of Theatre for a New Audience. Jeffrey and Theater for a New Audience have developed a relationship with Cicely Berry. She's, I think, in her 90s now and had been the head of voice at the Royal Shakespeare Company for like 50 years or some crazy amount of time. And she's amazing and a genius. And um, Jeffrey had developed a relationship with her where she would come over and lead a workshop for actors and directors. And sometimes she would work on specific productions that the theater was doing. And he said, you'll, you'll participate in this workshop with Sis. And Sis is very political. She's a Marxist. She believes Shakespeare belongs to everybody. She goes around the world, maybe not so much now, but she used to go around the world and work with people of all ages, of all backgrounds, on Shakespeare's language. She believes that there's no one way to interpret the plays or to say the lines. She has developed these exercises to enable actors and directors to connect to the language in a way that is that is muscular and that honors the structure of the language and yet is authentically their own. So I did this workshop and all of all of the barriers I had regarding Shakespeare just kind of fell away. And I was sort of startled to realize that he's writing about us now. And I know these characters, these relationships are familiar. So it was a big surprising realization that I, I don't know that I would have come to on my own without Jeffrey pushing me to tackle Shakespeare and without Sith helping me to connect with the language. I'm going to digress for a minute to talk a little more about Cicely Berry. Berry, born in 1926, has been the voice director of the Royal Shakespeare Company since 1960. In the 1990s, she produced a workshop on television called Working Shakespeare that featured young actors like Cherry Jones, Kate Burton, Claire Danes, Emily Watson, Lindsay Duncan, and a bunch of men. 
Let's listen to a clip from her introduction. Actors often feel that the most important thing in Shakespeare is to speak it right, either in received pronunciation in the UK or standard American. I believe this emasculates the language, makes it feel at a distance. After all, Shakespeare did not write in received pronunciation or standard American. What we in this group have to find is the muscularity of this language, the sense that words, thoughts are movement, movement within ourselves. We want it to sound as though it is being spoken for now, yet we also want to honor the rhythm and the image because the image tells us about that interior world. In a 2011 interview with The Guardian, Cecily Barry said, We were working on Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy a few years ago, and this line kept coming out at me. Where words prevail not, violence prevails. That's a great quote from one of Shakespeare's contemporaries, and Barry said it described how she feels about her own work. Returning to my conversation with Aaron, she echoed Barry by focusing on Shakespeare's words while discussing his reputation. I do think people are intimidated by Shakespeare. You know, there's a tradition not so true anymore, but for a long time, people didn't think Americans should do Shakespeare. You know, the Brits do it better, so why would we tackle it? But really, I find that actors love playing Shakespeare because the language is so amazing and the characters get to say such incredible things and the writing is just so deep. Finally, I asked Aaron which plays by Shakespeare she'd still like to take a crack at. There are a lot of plays of his that I wouldn't know what to do with. At Theater for New Audience, I've done seven of them, and, and I've done a couple others in other places. Maybe as I go through life, certain plays will speak to me, but there aren't that many more that, I'm just, that I wouldn't know how to tackle. At some point, I'd like to do Romeo and Juliet, and I'm a little bit interested in Timon. And I love some of the other plays, and I don't love some of the other plays, you know. As You Like It is a play that I don't think I will ever need to direct. I just don't get it. I just don't get it, I guess. Antony and Cleopatra is a play that I, that I love, but I really wouldn't know how to tackle it. At some point, I'd do a Hamlet. I, I don't know. Personally, I would love to see Aaron direct Timon of Athens, and not just because it's one of only two plays by Shakespeare that I haven't seen yet. It's an extremely dark and cynical play, and Aaron has a knack for directing those, but she's also good at finding humanity in that darkness, and that is what Timon of Athens needs. Next week on Her Infinite Variety, I'll be speaking with Mariah Aitken, director of an upcoming Twelfth Night also at Theater for a New Audience. Thanks very much to Aaron Arbus for speaking with me. Aaron's Winter's Tale played at the Polanski Shakespeare Center, the home of Theater for a New Audience, in April 2018. We also heard a clip of Cecily Berry on her program Working Shakespeare, which was released on DVD in 2005. The theme music for her infinite variety is De Do Ron Ron by The Crystals, and Behind Me Now is Hang On In There by The Stovall Sisters. I'm Aaron Grunfeld, and this has been Her Infinite Variety. Thanks for listening. When you come back to-